scripture reading tonight is from Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in, in, remem in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abram, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seat as we continue reading Advent. The Advent wreath is a circle with no beginning and no end. It is a symbol of endless love and faithfulness. Out of darkness, light shines, pointing us in hope to the one who came to overcome the darkness of this world and to be our light in the world to come. Come, Holy God, come and come, Holy Christ, come and reach us. Come, Holy Spirit, come and revive us. Come and turn us around and point us to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll use this. It just means I will be a little less expressive uh, this evening with my hand motions. Um, I'm going to take this off. Um, so one of the things I was uh, talking to a few friends this week about is, uh, you know, this time of year, the busyness, how hectic it gets, especially in the church life. And people are preparing for Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve is, is one of the largest services uh, of the year for many, many churches. And I was telling him that it's, it's interesting because we have all the parties and we have all the activities and we have all the things going on. Uh, but for us in our church, it's actually a really sweet and intimate time uh, because we don't, we don't really work towards the big production. We don't work towards, um, you know, preparing for a large amount of guests because the uniqueness of our church community is that everyone here, for the most part, there's a few of us that are born and raised, myself included, Kristen, Denise, um, that's about it. Everybody else is from somewhere else, right? You're from another state. You're from another country. 
And so this time of year is typically a time of year where people go to visit family and, and they, they fly out, they get off from work and they get to spend time with their loved ones and, and friends that they haven't seen in a long time. And, and it creates a really intimate and special time for us during Christmas because our Christmas Eve service is very simple and it's very beautiful, it's very stripped down, it's much smaller. And when it falls like this, where the last Sunday of Advent is the day before Christmas Eve, we have a similar feel. And I love that. You know, I think that's, it's wonderful. It's unique. And it's a shameless plug as well if you're here tomorrow to be here tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's something that is, um, is nice because this season is, has a lot. You know, I don't know how many of you have had moments this season where you just started crying for no reason. Uh, because, like, like, when can it just be 2019? When can it be over? Why does it feel like I'm going in debt to celebrate a fun holiday? Um, you know, that is a remembrance of a gift being given that was free, and, and, and yet we get wrapped up in it. But it's an important time of year. It's a unique time of year, and we've been preparing for this through the season of Advent. It's a season of waiting, a season of preparation, and we've been looking at the realization that God's love invites unlikely people to Jesus. So first, week one, we saw the shepherds, very unlikely people, we, we burst some of your bubbles when you came to realize that the shepherds were, in fact, thieves, uh, peasants, and uh, they were outcasted. They were not just nice, uh, you know, men and women that cared for animals, and yet they were unlikely, and yet God brought them in through an angel. And then week two, we saw the wise men who followed a star from the east hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles to Jesus. And then last week, we saw Joseph, a very unlikely man from a town of Nazareth who was going to marry his new wife, and then found out she was pregnant, and had a difficult time believing that the conception was miraculous, and not cheating, and so he resolved to divorce her, and then yet God came to him faithfully in a dream through an angel, and confirmed to him that what his wife was telling him, that she's carrying God with us, the Savior of the world, is in fact true, and then he was resolved to stay with her. And so tonight, on the last Sunday of Advent, as we look towards tomorrow, uh, Christmas Eve, we're looking at Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the scripture that was just read was her song. Mary sings this song, it's called the Magnificat. And it's a song about what she's experiencing, what she's feeling in her faith. And I think songs are, are, are wonderful things because they're invitations, right? Songs are invitations into someone's mind, into someone's emotions. Many of the songs you listen to are a song into someone's broken relationship and how they want to, to bring somebody back or how they're yearning for a relationship with somebody or what, what's happening in their life. It's an invitation into their perspective and into their life. And the thing about songs is that songs are meant to be shared. Right? You write a song so that you can share it, so that you can perform it. And then other people, as they come around the song that you wrote, they can sing it as well. I saw many of you this past Thursday night at our Christmas party singing songs written by other people at Sweet Caroline, the karaoke bar. We, uh, we really went in. I sang Total Eclipse of the Heart with uh, Tommy and Brandon. And for, I'm really actually still upset about this because Brandon was with me, and I was like, okay, this is perfect. Like, Brandon, like, you know, angelic vocal cords. And then he didn't even really sing. And they left me, Tommy put sunglasses on, but then he just left me to be, take the lead. And I think that's maybe why I still sound like this. It was not very good. 
but it was enjoyable because songs are meant to be shared and they're meant to be sung. And Mary writes this song that's meant to be shared. It's meant to be engaged with. It's an invitation into what she's experiencing, but not just her alone. This is an invitation into God's grace. That's how she writes the song. Invitation into God's love and his grace. But before we jump into the song, as we heard read here, I want to give you a little bit of background on Mary so you can kind of understand who she is. Mary is a young girl. She's from a town called Nazareth. Nazareth is in up in the Galilee region of Israel, and Nazareth is like West Virginia. That would be the equivalent. It is the butt of every joke. No offense to anybody here from West Virginia, but it's like, you're from Nazareth? Like, who's from Nazareth? And what's happening there? I don't even, like, still to this day, I don't really know what's happening in West Virginia. It could be aliens leading that state. I have no idea. But see, it's the same thing in Nazareth. People are like, you're from where? Like, who's from there? And who, do they leave that city if they're from there? Actually, the slogan during this time was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was how people felt. So Mary is from this city, and she's probably taken on a little bit of that feeling, right? Like, who am I? Like, I'm, I'm from Nazareth. I'm nobody. What do I have to offer? She probably feels a bit inferior And so she is engaged to this man, Joseph, and Joseph is a carpenter, and she's probably getting excited about this this new wedding. She's probably also excited that Joseph's a carpenter, so when she begins to nest, she can say, I want a coffee table that looks like this, and I want a couple rocking chairs, and I want some outdoor furniture, and she's going to put them to work. So she's excited. She's about to engage with this man, and be married, and it's all starting, and her life is beginning, and, and then she has this really radical shift that takes place when an angel comes before her and tells her that she's going to be pregnant, and she's really confused initially, as you can understand, because she's engaged to Joseph, and yet they have not consummated the marriage. Mary's a virgin, and she says, how's that going to happen. I'm a virgin. And the angel says to Mary, listen, that's not an issue for God. He's going to create life in your womb through the Holy Spirit. And the child that is going to be given to you is going to be the Savior, the one who has come to save people from their sins, Emmanuel, God with us, whose kingdom will have no end. Imagine how this feels for Mary. She was going this way in her life, and all of a sudden, everything's changed. She knows the consequences that are going to come. She knows what people are going to think. She knows that people are not going to believe her. And yet she receives this, and this is how she responds. She says this, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Radical shift in her life. Young woman from Nazareth. No one ever really thought anything was going to be made of her life. She's engaged. She's probably excited about that. And all of a sudden, an angel comes and tells her that her life is going to be completely different. And her response is, I'm a servant of God. Whatever it is that God wants for my life, let it be that. I mean, that's a challenging example to follow, right? She doesn't respond with like, okay, um, I don't know if I'm the best candidate for this. Like, 
I don't really have much to offer. Angel, I don't know if you know this, but I'm from Nazareth. Like, I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of riches. I don't have a lot of influence. I don't have, I don't have a nice house. I mean, Joseph's a carpenter. He could make some nice seats. But I don't, what, what am I going to give the Savior of the world? She doesn't respond with, I don't think I'm up for this guy. I don't think this is right. Maybe you have the wrong person. She says none of that. She just simply says, if this is God's will, then she's going to step into it. She's confident in God. And because she's confident in God, she's confident in God's will. Surely God's will for her life that's being revealed to her in this moment is terrifying. It is not what she imagined. It is a radical shift. But she doesn't begin to backtrack. She doesn't doubt it. She doesn't push away from it. Instead, she leans into it, and she just says, if this is God's will for my life, like, let's go. I'm going to step into it. She's confident in God, and because she's confident in God, and not just confident in her ability, she's confident in God, therefore, she's confident in whatever God's will is going to bring to her life. But she also recognizes that she's a servant. She, as she receives this, maybe she's confident in God, so she steps into God's will, but she also doesn't hijack God's glory in the process. She doesn't say to the angel or, you know, we don't see her her faith or her example or her character show in any way that she wants to hijack God's glory. As we're going to see in a moment, her song is all about giving glory and praise to God for what he's done. She doesn't sit there and think to herself, well, finally, you know, I've been waiting in Nazareth. I got a lot to offer. I know I'm a really special person. I'm a really good person. So finally, God, you stepped up. You revealed this great will. I'm going to step into it. And I want people to know, like, I may be from Nazareth, but I am better than everyone else now because I'm Mary, and I'm going to be the mother of the Son of God. She recognizes that she's simply a servant. She says, behold, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of God. And because she sees herself as a servant of God, she can give God glory. You see, oftentimes when we seek to hijack God's glory and seek praise for ourselves seek praise for what God is doing in our life instead of giving him glory and saying, look what, he, what, look what he's done, look what he's doing. It's oftentimes because we struggle with really seeing ourselves as a servant of God. Instead, we see God as kind of serving our agenda, stepping in and doing the things that we believe that we deserve or we're entitled to or we worked really hard for. And so God finally recognized it and then he showed up and he, he gave us what we think we've earned. But Mary doesn't feel like that at all. She's confident in God, so she can be confident in his will, even if it's radical. And she sees herself as a servant of God, and therefore she can give God glory for what he's doing. And so she experiences this, and she says this, and then as she's, she's pregnant and the pregnancy is going on, she takes a trip, and she goes to visit her relative, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is also pregnant, and the child that Elizabeth is carrying is John the Baptist, the prophet who will prepare the way for Christ. He will go out and he will declare the coming of the Messiah, of the Savior, before Jesus steps into public ministry around age 30. And so Mary goes to, to visit with Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and when they meet, Elizabeth is overcome with the Spirit. She's overcome with the presence of God and the blessing that is the child that Mary's carrying. So much so that it says that inside of Elizabeth's womb, little baby John the Baptist leaps for joy. 
And then Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, you are blessed. And the child that you are carrying is blessed. She begins to pronounce this blessing upon Mary. And in this moment, all this emotion, everything that Mary is processing and thinking, she's placed her confidence in God. She sees herself as a servant. She's hearing this from Elizabeth, her relative, and she's feeling everything that's taking place. She launches into a song. And here's what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She like start. there's no build in this song. She just starts out with a bang. This is like a full band song. This is a, a clap song. This is a move your hands type of song. This is a double hand raise type of song. Even for the non-hand raisers, I mean, double hand raise here. That's how she steps into this because it's a song of joy. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. That means the deepest part of you, everything about who you are is making God large, magnifying God. Then she says, my spirit, meaning not the part that's cerebral, but my emotions and my, my spirit, the spiritual and emotional part of me is rejoicing and giving praise to God who is my savior. Notice that. She's making God large through her soul and her spirit, her emotions, and in the spiritual aspect of who she is, is praising God because God is her savior. You see, a savior is someone that comes and arrives on the scene to take the necessary action to save someone, to rescue someone. Someone's in need, someone's in, a, in danger. The Savior comes into the scene, does what is necessary to rescue those that are in need. A Savior never saves from a distance. They're always engaged in the scene. This is every superhero movie, right? The soup, there's something bad happening in the city. There's a villain. Someone needs rescuing. Someone's about to fall off a building. Spider-Man swings through, and he rescues them. A savior always steps into the scene. Imagine what Mary is feeling here, right? She's been told that the child that she is carrying is the son of God, the savior, who has come to save people from their sins, to rescue them. I mean, she knows that God is arriving on the scene. And she's the mother. God is stepping into the scene of humanity where broken people need saving. And Mary has the privilege of being the mother to nurture the Son of God. So she's praising God that the Savior has come and she's full of joy. And, and you see, she's contemplating all these things. And it's not simply that just the Savior's come for the world, but it's her Savior too. She's carrying her Savior that she is going to nurture and raise, and the result is she's overcome with joy. She is overcome with joy. You see, this is what happens when God arrives on the scene. It's what happens when she, with Mary when God arrives on the scene of her life, and she's given this child through the power of the Holy Spirit. It creates in her this dumbfounded joy. And when God arrives on the scene of your life, it's the same exact thing. If you've experienced that, if you've come to know God for who he is, if you've come to see and believe in Jesus for who he is, the result is joy. 
because you recognize that God has come onto the scene of your life to rescue and to save you, that your soul and your spirit desires to magnify and to praise God. And Mary expounds upon this joy. She says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his service, his servant. She's contemplating there the reality that God has come to save her. Like, like who am I? What do I? I'm from Nazareth. What do I have to offer God? I have no money. I have no influence. I, I, I don't really have much at all. And yet God has arrived on the scene of my life to come and save me. She fleshes this out. She says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Not just for me, but for those who fear him from generation to generation. She's contemplating all of this. She's overcome with joy. She begins to see the reality of, of who God is, that God has arrived on the scene of her life to save her, that God has done great things for her, that what is the blessing that it is to know who God is and to be in relationship with him. And then she begins to declare the mercies of God, that God is merciful for anyone who fears him or reveres him or puts their faith in him. You see, this pattern that Mary goes through here in the song is the same pattern that is repeated in the life of, of any Christ follower. Anyone that places their faith in Christ, it's the same pattern. Here's the pattern. God arrives on the scene of your life. You're overcome with joy. You recognize the blessing that it is to know Christ. You see, like, who am I? That's the question. Who am I that God would show mercy and grace to me? Come and rescue me. And then you seek to declare God's mercy. This is the pattern that shows up in the life of every believer when you humble yourself before God, when you see yourself as a servant of God, when you're confident in God and not yourself. You see, oftentimes you hear this. You, I'm, I'm sure every single person has heard this before from a friend, from a coworker, from YouTube, wherever. The only people that, that really need God and need Jesus and need church are those who are really weak and really broken. It's those who have been through something really traumatic. They, they really they had a drug addiction. They were in prison. They had a really dysfunctional relationship. They suffered something really hard. Or they're just kind of a weak person, like emotionally. Or, and so they go to God because they need something that's going to provide some sense of hope. Some sense of strength, some sense of joy in a world that seems to be dealing out the wrong hand to them. That God is really a crutch for those people. But I don't need God because I have my life together. I'm strong. I'm emotionally intelligent. I'm working towards my career and I have goals and I feel fulfilled. It's for weak people. See, that's not true at all. In fact, what we see here is that this pattern has nothing to do with brokenness or weakness. Oftentimes, when you face something traumatic, it just helps you to see the reality of who you are. That no matter how hard you try, you're going to struggle. No matter how hard you try to achieve, sometimes it just doesn't happen. 
No matter how hard you're working toward to be good and to make the right decision, sometimes things come into your life unexpected and you had nothing to do with and it totally changed everything. You see, the reality is, is that God is not for the people that are weak and broken and need a crutch to lean on. God is for people who recognize really who they are. People that are humble, that say, in relationship to God, like, who am I? I'm from Nazareth. <laughs> I don't have anything to offer God. I may have something to offer other people, and I'm, I may feel good about that, but, I mean, to offer God, I have nothing. You see, it's humility that creates this pattern. Through humility, you see the invitation of God inviting you into relationship with him, into his mercy and into his grace and into his love. And, and God then arrives on the scene of your life. And you're overcome with joy, joy you never knew that you could experience in, in any other way you experience here in a relationship with God. And you come to see the blessing that is Christ, and then you begin to tell people about how merciful God is. This is a pattern that is created and repeated in your life, not through weakness, but through humility. And then in the middle of this song, as Mary is kind of demonstrating this and showing this to us, she gives this little warning. It's like verse 2. Verse 2's got a warning. And she's warning people against believing like that. Against believing that, you know, God's just for the, the really messed up people, but I'm okay. I'm confident in myself, and if God's there, he can kind of serve my agenda. She's warning against that. Here's what she says. He has shown strength with his arm, and he's scattered, it's the opposite of humble, the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. See, exaltation comes through humility, but the proud are thrown down in their thoughts. They're thrown down from their thrones, the things that they seek after. They will not find and achieve the joy and the fulfillment that they seek there, but actually the humble. And the humble has nothing to do with socioeconomic status. It doesn't have to do with where you're from. It doesn't have to do with what you've experienced and what you've done or not done. It has to do with the condition of your heart and your posture before God. The humble are exalted. And the proud are thrown down. The apostle Peter says this. He reminds us that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. There's a Phil Wickham song. He's one of my favorite uh, Christian artists that writes uh, worship songs. Many of the songs that we sing here is by Phil Wickham, and there's this song that he wrote called Till I Found You, and it, I think it puts it perfectly. Here's what he says. Gone are the days that I'm chasing after what won't last. I'm done with building these castles that crumble like sand. Knees on the floor, I finally found that everything I needed was always right in front of me. You gave me a name. You changed everything. Gone are the days of seeking after what won't last. All these 
castles that are building. They're just going to crumble like sand. And where I found what I'm looking for is actually when my knees hit the floor. In humility, in a humble posture before God. You come to God and say, who am I to receive what you offer? Who am I to be invited into your love, into your grace, into your mercy? Look what Mary says in the next verse. She says, he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he sent away empty. Those that are hungry, meaning spiritually hungry, he fills through humility, it's a recognition that you're spiritually hungry, that, that you desire God. You have nothing to offer God, but you desire. You're not entitled to a relationship with God. You have, can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And yet God invites you into it. And through spiritual humility and hunger, God comes and fills you. But the rich, meaning those that look at God like, I don't really need that. Or I'll just pick and choose the aspects of God that I want because I, most of my life I have together. He sends away empty. You're never going to experience that filling through pride. See, what Mary is saying here is that God's love invites you into grace. But to accept the invitation, there has to be a humility of heart. A humility of heart brings you into the reality that God gives you grace, unmerited favor. I know many of your stories, and I, and I know a lot of I think what we're all going through at different seasons in our life, and that is feeling disconnected from God. I, I think this is like a sermon we could preach every single week because we struggle with this, right? In and out. It's like a roller coaster of faith. And some of you are seeking God for the first time, and you've never really come to see who God is, and you haven't experienced that feeling yet, but you're hungry. You're feeling disconnected, but you're hungry. You, 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 you see that the, the trappings of the world don't offer what they promise. You, you want that relationship. You're seeking to move from pride to humility before God, and you want to experience the richness of coming before his presence and God arriving on the scene of your life and that dumbfounded joy that overcomes you where you see the blessing that is Christ and you declare the mercies of God to others. You want that. Many of us are, are, are excited about 2019 because we're thinking a new year, new opportunities, new mercies, new grace. Time to start over in all different places. I'm going to get to the gym, physical start over, emotional start over. I got this book. I think it's going to help me sort through some things. I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to have a spiritual start over. Hungering for that, but feeling disconnected. But I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we're a little resistant to really come humbly before God, to accept the invitation of God's love and his grace in humility, whether for the first time or anew. Because the reality is you don't need God's grace once, you need it every single day. Not just a one-time thing. Maybe you're feeling disconnected from God because you feel like, I'm not good enough, you know? I really do think I'm from Nazareth, or I might as well be from West Virginia. You know, I'm just, I don't feel like I have much to offer. Or maybe you feel disconnected from God because you're frustrated with yourself. You're frustrated with your lack of discipline. You're frustrated with the reality that you keep struggling with the same thing over and over and over again. 
It's putting this barrier of shame or guilt and disconnect between you and God. Maybe you're feeling disconnected from God because you have a lot of questions and they haven't been fulfilled. You haven't heard a good answer yet. You have these doubts that you're struggling with. Or, or maybe you've been seeking to rekindle your relationship with God and feel connected. You've been opening the Bible, but when you read the, the passage, you don't feel anything. It just feels like you just read some words. Maybe you're sorting through church baggage. Maybe you're sorting through some difficult relationships with people that, that claimed faith in Christ and that's really messing with you. Or maybe, just maybe, you're feeling burnt out on a lot of the aspects of faith. Maybe you're tired of church. Like you were like, I don't know if I'm going to come tonight. There's a new Netflix release that I kind of want to engage in. Maybe you're feeling burnt out and tired. Those are all okay things. But see, here's what happens. Here's the trap that we fall into. You come to church, you get around the community of, of people that believe in Christ or they're seeking Christ, and you look around the room and you think, man, everyone else has it easier than me. Everyone else is doing really well because, you know, when I came in, people greeted me with a smile. Someone even asked me if they could get an espresso for me. I don't even really know them very well. And then I came in, I sat down, and, and we were singing these songs, and I looked, and there's people raising their hands, and I'm like, wow, they're really connected with God. But me, like, not everyone feels and struggles with the things that I struggle with. They don't have the same sin struggles. They don't have the same problem when they open scripture and they feel disconnected from God. They don't have the same baggage. They don't you probably come here and you think, Carter, you have the most rich and deep, fulfilling spiritual life at all times. I know it. <laughs> that would be a lie. We're humans, right? We feel disconnected from God for many different reasons. And they may be different for all of us. But to think that it's easier for other people is a lie. We all struggle with this because we all struggle with pride. We all struggle with thinking more highly of ourselves, or sometimes the opposite of that is we're not humble. We, we kind of destroy ourselves. We build up shame and guilt that keeps us from God. And so what happens is we desire this new birth in our relationship with God. We want to experience what Mary is singing about. We want joy and to know and to feel the blessing that is Christ and God arriving on the scene of our life. We want to see God's mercies and we want to declare them, but we're kind of like waiting. Just waiting for like the puzzle pieces to line up for everything to fall into place. You kind of feel, oftentimes, it's like you're pregnant. You're just waiting for the birth. Sometime it's going to happen. I'm feeling disconnected from God, but I'm just waiting till the day when it's going to change. And that's also a wrong way to think because what we see in Mary's song is that new birth is available now, tonight. At any moment, at every day, God's grace is not something you have to wait for. It's an invitation into God's love right now. You see, Mary's pregnant here. Jesus has not been born. She has not met Jesus. He's not even 30 years old preaching about the good news of the gospel, and yet she has come to experience the mercy and the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God who has come to save her. 
And while she's waiting, she experiences this joy. She responds with this blessing that is to know Christ. And we don't have to wait either. See, the same Holy Spirit that gave life to Mary's womb and formed Christ in her is the same Spirit that forms Christ in you. The miracle of the incarnation is actually available to you. That's the message of Christmas. The miracle of the incarnation of Christ is available to you because Christ is incarnated in your life through the Spirit. The Spirit unites you with Christ. You come to see Christ as your Savior who has come to rescue you. You see that Jesus is, in fact, Emmanuel, God, with you, for you, engaged with you, not asking you to wait to experience the joy of his presence and the joy of his blessings, but you can experience that now. doesn't matter what your struggles are. doesn't matter what your doubts are. doesn't matter how your energy levels are. doesn't matter what your baggage is. Not to trivialize those things, but, but Christ is available to you in the midst of that. As you're going through those pains, those birth pains, if you will. Christ is available to you tonight. And I think the question that Mary asks us and, and the question that we're, we're meant to ponder are three questions. One, are you confident in God? Are you confident in God? So often of our disconnect in our relationship with God is that we're not confident in ourselves, in our ability, in our discipline, in our obedience, in our ability to move past something, whatever it may be, we're not confident in ourselves, and so we feel disconnected from God. But Mary shows us that she's just confident in God. And so she can step into whatever God puts before her, and she can move past it, as difficult as it will be. Are you confident in God? And the second question is, do you recognize that you're a servant of God? That God isn't here to serve you, but you are, in fact, a servant of God. And so your life is about making God large, declaring his mercies, your spirit and your soul magnifying and praising him, even in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your baggage, in the midst of your brokenness, because God has arrived on the scene of your life, and he's come to save you. So you can declare God's mercies even when it feels like you're waiting. And then lastly, the question is, will you worship? Will you worship God in the state that you're in now? You see, Mary's song is a song of joy. It's also kind of a song of warning. But it's a song of worship that God has come to save. He has come to show his mercy. He invites all people, as unlikely as you may feel, into relationship with God. And the invitation is really simple. The invitation is to receive Jesus in faith. When you receive Jesus in faith, you experience the grace and the newness of life through the Spirit. You see, this is what we see with Mary. Mary has faith in the Spirit. The Spirit has formed Christ in her womb. And through that, she knows that it was nothing that she did. She didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it. 
And yet, through faith in the reality of God's promises that Christ has been formed in her, she responds with confidence, with praising God because she sees that she's a servant and with worship. And she experiences this joy even in the midst of her waiting. See, if you're feeling disconnected from God, don't complicate it. How to, how to rekindle that relationship or maybe how to find a relationship with God for the first time, don't complicate it. It's really simple. Look to Jesus. I say it all the time here. Receive Jesus. Consider who God is, that he has arrived on the scene of your life Think about who you are. I mean, who, who am I? Who, who are any of us? And yet God offers us the message of Christmas. He offers us a relationship with him through Christ who has come to this earth to redeem and to save us. And the spirit will bring about a union with Christ and a renewal of your spirit when you lean into that, when you're confident in who God is. I want to close with something a little bit different tonight. I want to read this passage of scripture and I want to read it a little bit slow because it, it's the song that Mary is singing in many ways. It's this invitation into the grace of God. And my prayer is that as I read this, and you can read it on the screen behind me, is that you receive this, that as you hear these words spoken to you, that it would fill you with joy because this is your promise. This is true. For everyone that humbly comes before Christ. So read this with me. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed the invisible but clearly present God, the spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, as he does, as, he sure, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grace-tending, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is. And we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. That's Romans chapter 8. It's the message of Christmas.
Will you pray with me? God, we are so humbled that you would give us such an inheritance that is your son, Christ. That you would come for us to save us, to forgive us, to remove the guilt and the shame that we struggle with. That though we are limited in our flesh by sin, God, you are not limited. And so we can place our confidence in you when we're feeling disconnected from you, God. We don't have to think of strategies to reconnect our relationship with you. We don't have to begin to just work harder and try harder as if it's up to us. Our relationship with you is from you. The new life that we experience is from you. And so, Lord, tonight I pray as we're processing all that we're going through and all that we're feeling, that we would rest in the reality that you have invited us into your grace, that your love has invited us into a newness of life through the Spirit, that our confidence would be there, and that, God, we would just look to you and say, we're your servant. Help us to trust you and wherever you may take us. Lord, because you are good. We pray this all in Jesus' name.